If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your producer, Lexi Linger, and today I am so excited to share part one of our Ask Dolph Live series. If you're a regular listener, you've probably already heard one or two Ask Dolph episodes. These are podcast episodes where Dolph answers questions that you've sent in. Well, one listener recommended we do a live version of Ask Dolph, and so we did. Last August, we met some of you, dear listeners, on Zoom, and we discussed the questions that have been on your mind. And, of course, we recorded it. So today, I want to share the first half of Ask Dolph live with you. I need to say a few things first. First of all, thanks so much to the listeners that joined us in August. You were the guinea pigs, and we so appreciate you taking a risk with us. And number two, if you meant to join the last Ask Dolph live session and couldn't, or you really enjoyed today's episode and you're thinking, hey, I have a question for Dolph, then I have great news for you. We are planning to host more in 2022. As I record this, we are working on updating our website to include an events page. So make sure you check out our website or keep listening to the podcast for those next Ask Dolph Live dates. And now to part one of Ask Dolph Live. For folks that do not know, this is, believe it or not, actually a childhood dream of mine. When I was uh, when I was in grade school, I really, really wanted to be a radio talk show host. I was in grade school many decades ago when radio talk show hosts were kind, sane people who just had conversations with other people. And early on, I, I had a stutter at that age. I still have a little bit of a stutter. And my teachers were like, hey, you stutter, you'll never be on the radio. And then in high school, my voice changed and my teachers were like, you stutter and you have a very unusual voice. You're never going to be on the radio. So this is honestly kind of like a realization of a dream for me. So thank you for being here for this. So I think we were going to start. We've got a uh, question from Jackson about revolving doors of interns. Jackson, welcome. Uh, thank you so much, Dolph. Uh, thanks for uh, having me and for doing this. Um, so uh, and I think your teacher is dead wrong about your voice, uh, for the record. Um, but moving along, I, I've been uh, working with my current organization for 
around six or seven years. And in that time, I think I've supervised uh, at least 20 uh, interns during that time. You know, we have various intern sessions throughout the year. And so I was wondering, how do you manage a revolving door of interns in a context like that and sort of, I guess, make the most of you know, their time and your time in a context like that. I'd love to ask you a few more questions. My first question is, where do you experience pain around interns? That's a good question. And uh, I'm not sure what others might say, but for me, it really it depends on the individual intern and their sort of capacity and their experience that they're bringing to the internship. So I guess my biggest pain point um, would be maybe an intern not really showing enthusiasm or uh, not doing everything they can do to make the most of the opportunity. That's my biggest pain point. Got it. And I've got a couple more questions. What's your role in selecting, onboarding, and offboarding the interns? Yeah, I guess I'll just say all of the above in that I, uh, I am... I do the initial screening, the interview, uh, initial briefings, um, and uh, evaluations for them. And Th- That is good to hear because you have way, way more control over getting great interns then. And final question before I really try to dive into an answer. Does your organization pay interns or are these unpaid interns? For graduate assistants, they do receive a stipend, um, but historically, interns have not been paid. Um, However, this current session, with start, which started this week, the organization has started paying interns. I think the sort of reverberations and the results of that new development is, remains to be seen. But that's my answer is they now pay interns. Well, first, kudos to your organization for paying interns. That really, for me, is a, an equity and inclusion issue. So I'm glad that they are. Do you notice any difference between, um, in the past, between those graduate assistants that get stipends and the unpaid interns? A well, a difference would, I guess, sort of be that you know graduate assistants tend to be older and uh, more experienced, and so maybe they work a little bit, and, and they also you know they have more work experience, and so they work a little bit more uh, autonomously. Um, but other than that, it really comes down to the individual as far as their work product and, you know, their enthusiasm for the work. Okay. And I know a couple questions ago, I said it was my last question, and I clearly lied to you because I have more questions. What is your, what is your onboarding or orientation process for new interns look like? Um, so the onboarding process is led by the education programs, which is, uh, there's a dedicated program to interns. Um, And so I believe it is a two-day orientation. uh, And, you know, through that, they learn sort of larger organizational type stuff, conduct, um, what's expected of them throughout the internship. And from there, they then get sent to, you know, my program uh, and, you know, various other programs, of course. Um, and then we have another briefing and they get, they learn, uh, you know, in a, within a couple hours of what is going to be expected from them on a more detailed level. And we share with them briefing materials to get them uh, up to speed. But yeah, that's, that's my answer. And, and is it, 
is it a pretty um, is it is it a pretty healthy orientation? Like, do they get a real good understanding of what you're looking for from the interns and what their tasks are and how to do them? Hmm. You know, obviously, the, the orientation they're going to be saying these kinds. This is what's going to be expected of you, but that's sort of abstract. I think that whenever they're then led to their actual program and their actual supervisor. That's where they're going to really learn the details uh, and the meat of what is going to be expected of them. And so that process is pretty decentralized. So I'm not necessarily sure what they're hearing from their respective supervisors. But, you know, for us, we try to make make sure that we keep a high level of communication and uh, follow up so that, you know, they stay on a good track and, you know, the internship is useful for them and useful for us. Yeah. So, so as I think about this, I think there's a few things you'd mentioned to me that you're, you're in a key position around recruiting and selecting those interns. And, and I really think getting interns that are motivated and engaged and want to do the work and frankly, just show up. We've all had interns that stop showing up after two months. We're like, what happened to them? We've all, We've all seen that. Um, I think that really starts with selection and and in the in the interview process to actually, you know, maybe put some some barriers in place where maybe they need to turn in some assignments or do some projects before you grant them the internship. And you can see, do they do it well? Do they do it on time? Do they take it seriously? But the other thing I think about is that that onboarding and orientation. And I know you mentioned that that varies from supervisor to supervisor. But I would think if I was in your shoes for the for the interns that I supervised, what I would think about is what tasks can I give to an intern year in and year out? And then I would create a curriculum to orient interns to those tasks that you're going to ask them to do, which will be learning experiences for them. And when I would think about that curriculum, while it might take some work to put it in place, um, essentially re-implementing it every year or every semester with a new crop of interns should not be as much work. And I would I would think about, for example, like a self-directed curriculum with a checklist and, you know, you check in once a week or twice a week and make sure that they're going through that checklist and they're completing what they're supposed to. I would also think like if there are any specific tasks you want an intern to do, as an example, um, you know, I want you to run reports from this database and create a, the or the departmental dashboard. I'm going to use that as an example. What I would do is I would I would actually create a screen recording of that. So I would do it myself, and I create a screen recording. And the first thing I would do is I'd ask the intern to watch the screen recording, and I'd ask them to do that. So that way, first of all, I don't have to show someone year in and year out. And then I'd ask them what questions they had and what help and support they might need to do it. Um, and that's when it becomes a little more. Um, tailored and curated to each individual intern. But if you've got that curriculum and you've got some videos in place, some experiences in place, and finally, some assessments. And so in that dashboard example, you know, if you're asking um, an intern to, to create a dashboard every week or every month to give them some dummy data and then actually do an assessment and say, okay, you know, you're not quite ready to go live and work with our real data yet, but actually have that as an assessment and make it really clear that that's a threshold moment for them. That's the moment that they're going from, okay, I'm learning something to I actually am ready to do this independently and really celebrate that when that threshold and that assessment has been successfully completed. And 
The, the last thing that I would share is I think it's critical when we have interns, and I think this is a mistake we often make in the nonprofit sector. We have interns, and we don't set expectations for them as if it's a real job. So, you know, we actually hold them to a lower standard than we would an employee. And then these people who are often um, entry-level or early career professionals go into a workplace, and they're kind of shocked because they go, oh, my gosh, wow. So much more is expected of me now than when I was doing an internship. So I'd also think to really set expectations really clear and then enforce those expectations. Jackson, how does that sound? Do you think any of that would work? Well, I mean, I, that was that was pithy. I, there's a lot of different uh, nuggets there, and I've taken notes. So I think there's a, a lot of good advice uh, in there. That's very helpful. Um, I don't have any follow-up questions, but I, I will thank you. Um, thank you for your very thorough answer. Well, Jackson, thank you. And I also want to say thank you for being the guinea pig. This is not only the first Ask Dolph Live, but you're the first person. So thank you. You rock. It's my honor. Thank you so much. Jill, I understand that you wanted us to have a conversation around um, a couple of staff members that are having some difficulty getting along. Um, thank you for giving me this opportunity to discuss with you. I have always been proud of my staff and the way we work together as a team. And now I have two members who are not working well together. I have spoken to them individually. I have spoken to them as a team. And they both agree to work professionally. But they don't even want to call each other or to email each other. I mean, they're really, they'll do it, but it's like, oh, you know. And so I just wondered if there's another step I can take. There is. Not surprising. I've got some more questions. Are they asking you to referee? Oh, they would like me to even make, send the emails for them or ask the questions for them. And I'm going, no, you have to speak directly. I'll share with you as an executive director, I've been in those very shoes where I'm asked a referee <laughs> or suddenly I get copied on every email that one sends to the other. So it's almost like I'm telling on the boss or whatever. I've 100% been in those shoes. I'll share with you, I've also been in that situation and that really uncomfortable unhappy with another person. And the way I behaved, I'm going to be frank, something I was not really proud of. Which of course means now I'm going to tell you how I behaved, right? But I, but I, but I really was genuinely not proud of it. It was my first job out of college, and I was a young, very radical person. And my direct supervisor, funny enough, is about the age that I am now, and was probably a lot like the way I am now. I mean, I still think of myself as very progressive, um, but I'm not the very radical person that I was before. And she and I did not hit it off at all. And, and honestly, I own most of that because now I know the importance of managing up. Um, so like I, t I fully get like, yeah, it, it was my job. You know, I'm fresh out of school, um, working with someone who has a lot of experience. It's my job to take that as a learning experience in addition to a job and not, you know, so I, I fully own that was, that was on me. And um, I know, I know I've, sometimes I'll tell the story that um, this person one day noticed that I wore um, socks that did not match. And this was a long, long time ago when most people just wore brown, black, or blue socks to work as opposed to all the different colored socks. So I had on like a blue sock and a brown sock, and it was a total accident. But once I knew that it irritated her, that's uh, literally every day I would just not match my <laughs> socks. And I come into the office, 
with unmatched socks because I was a punk. <laughs> because I was a punk. Let me be clear about that. Like, and again, like, and I look back on this and if I could counsel myself, I would just be like, uh, are you, are you a fool? <laughs> like, are you a fool? You are, you are literally, you were poking your boss, doing something you know your boss does not like for something you really don't care about. Unmatched socks is not a moral, ethical, or philosophical stand for you. Um, but, but I'll share with you that, that because of my behavior, our relationship really kind of went south to the extent of like, understandably, because, because I could not even do small things like match my socks, um, you know, that were that, that, and that was, let me be clear, important to her. I still think it's a little, I believe it's something silly for it to be important, but it was important to her. And so our, our relationship, you know, frankly, went downhill pretty quickly to the extent of like, I remember one day trying to get our executive director to referee because she started to go into my staff mailbox and open my mail. And I felt like, again, like, let me be clear, this is an early career professional kind of thing, you know, where I was like, what? My boss is opening my mail. So a couple things happened. The first is, I will always, always, always remember this. I'm, I'm not going to name the supervisor because it's not fair to her, but I am going to name the executive director. Gary Miller sat me down. That's not true. He brought both of us into his office after like two months of this foolishness and, and pretty much said, look, both of you have to figure out how to work together. And if you can't, then we're going to have a problem. And if you can't, it's a reflection on you. I don't want anything to ever come back up to me again unless it's legal or highly ethical. I don't want anything to come back up to me again. And if either of you wants to essentially bring petty things up to me again, then you're probably not going to have a job. And we both walked out of that room and were like, ooh, okay, we better figure out how to work together. And I'll share with you, while we still didn't have the best relationship. And by the way, this was also pre-email. So I can't say that we were now willing to email each other, but we were willing to go into each other's offices and talk to each other and, and try to work things out on our own without asking the executive director to referee. And, and I know Gary modeled that for me. There's only been a couple of times in my career when I've had to use that, but it is really powerful when you're like, look, you know, if it's legal or ethical, you can bring it to me. But if it's just this petty you know, th this petty, I don't like this person and I don't want to work with this person. You need to stop bringing that to me. You need to figure out how to make it work and you need to stop affecting the entire team. And for me, that was, that was really, really um, an important learning moment, both as, as someone who was a coworker, but also as a future executive director. Do, do you think something like that would work with these two? Because I know you said that you've already brought them in a room and yet this behavior still happens. I was not that strict. <laughs> and so I love this. I love this. Um, I hope it would. I don't want to lose either one of them. So I hope that it will be a, oh, that's how I'm acting? Let me change. Yeah, yeah. So this is great. And, and um, there's a book I would love to send you. It's, uh, it's Discipline Without Punishment by Dick Grote. Um, Dick has since retired. I tried to get him on the podcast, and I got the loveliest email back from him saying, you're 18 months too late. I'm 75, and I retired 18 months ago. <laughs> I was like, oh, I love this guy. But what I love about it and, it, and it uses discipline from the perspective of, like, you know, esprit de corps, discipline. Like, people are people are doing those things that we expect of them as professionals. Um, but, but it's how to have that discipline in your organization without punishment. And there are so many techniques in that book. A everything from... Um, from 
not just managing expectations, but helping people get into alignment on expectations to this amazing concept of a decision-making leave. And so one of the things Dick recommends is sometimes you reach a point with an employee where their behavior or performance so impacts the organization and the team that they work on that you end up going to them and saying, okay, we've had the same conversation three times. We did it this, we did it this, we did it this. You need to make a decision. Do you want to work here or do you not? So we are going to give you, and it's typically two to three days off, paid days off but they're not really days off. We are paying you to think about whether or not you want to work here. And at the end of your your leave, your decision-making leave, you're gonna come back and you're gonna say, yes, I want to work here and I understand that means that I need to have the following behavior or my performance must be at the following level. Or you come back and you say, you know, we should talk about a transition and let's see what that's gonna look like. Now, the deal though is after that, that paid leave, if someone's, behavior does not improve, then at that point, it's just determination. Like at that point, they've had the opportunity. Literally, you have paid them to think about it and make a decision. Then it's just determination. But so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you a copy of this book. It is one of my favorites. I reread it almost every year. That is wonderful, the suggestions and, and how to go about doing this. Well, Jill, thanks so much. And it's great to talk to you. Thank you. Great speaking to you. And thank you, Dolph. Really appreciate it. Well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as Dolph and I did. Remember, check our website, social media, and upcoming podcasts for information about our next Ask Dolph Live sessions. And make sure you stay tuned in for Ask Dolph Live Part 2. And of course, we have to give out the disclaimer, Dolph and I are not accountants or attorneys, and neither we nor the Goldenberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. This material has been provided for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. Always, always, always consult a qualified licensed professional about such matters.